If everybody would take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Ephesians 1. We're studying the book of Ephesians. We're coming back to this. And I know what you're saying. Why are we going so slow? There's a lot of stuff, exactly. There's a lot that's in there. In fact, everything that we've seen so far is a demonstration of what God has done for us. Now, what's interesting is, is I didn't ask for this, and yet God does it. I wouldn't have had the wisdom to be able to ask for this, and yet God gives me everything that I need exactly as he sees fit, and he does so, one important thing to remember, he does so completely. God's gifts are never half given. They're always given fully. They're always given perfectly. And by these blessings being ours, the only question that really remains is, how am I going to steward these blessings? A lot of that just really boils down to, do I believe what God has said? And will I now live my life in light of the truth of what he said about it? Either God's telling the truth or God's lying. So that's the first thing we have to come down on. Number two, I will either live in light of that truth or I will live a lie. And that's the way that it boils down. You say, that's harsh. No, it's true. How many people, raise your hand, are you in awe when you either see things on the news or you go to the mall or if you hang out at Walmart too long and you say, good grief, what is going on? Why are these people doing that? Why would they make that choice? This doesn't make any sense. Why would they move in that direction? And we see a lot of things in society and our culture that are just clashing. And as people who have and know God's word, understand this. We see reality more clearly than anyone else is right now. How do we know this? The Bible tells us very clearly. The whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Everyone. So unless I have my glasses on, I'm not seeing the world for the reality that it truly is. Now what's amazing is, is some people have taken that and said, well, we got to get in there and we got to fix the world. How's that going? It's not. But where does the scripture direct us? Put your eyes on Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Pause for a second. Does anybody know why it would be significant for us to be thinking about Jesus at the right hand of the Father? What's that tell us? Well, we're in Him, and that's indispensable. He's in control. And not only that, He's on deck. How many of you like baseball? Yes? Some of you are like, I hate baseball. That's fine. You've got the guy that's up there in the, in the batter's box, and he's waiting to go, right? And if you follow baseball, you're like, this guy's a schmuck. He's not hitting anything. Why do they even have him in the lineup, right? Maybe you don't think that way, but I would, okay? But what you're really excited about is the guy who has the amazing batting average that's in the little circle off to the side. Because you, when you know when he gets up there, he's going to hit a home run. Understand this. God on the throne is not a schmuck. Don't ever think that I'm implying that whatsoever. But God has a plan. And God's plan is to turn everything over to the control of his son. His son's on the right hand because his son is on deck. And his son has a perfect batting average. So that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're anticipating. 
Why does that matter in the here and now? Because what he has given you and I are truths to latch on to, to embrace, and to roll over and over and over in our hearts and minds so that we will not be bogged down by the here and now, but our perspective will be eternal and looking to go onward and upward. That is Christ's direction. Always onward, always upward. Everybody with me? Three of you. Great. Here we go. I'm excited about it. Maybe need more coffee. Everybody knows the coffee over here says gunpowder. Everybody see that? Get some of that. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, believers, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined, there we go, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the measurement, the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. If we stopped there, we have enough mind and heart candy to last us for the rest of our lives. But he goes on. How else has he blessed us moving forward? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is, what is it? The summing up of all things in Christ, things on heaven and things on the earth. So in other words, his blood has redeemed us. And because that verb is in the present tense, it's a continual cleansing that happens throughout our Christian experience as we're growing him by knowing more of him. But it's all looking forward to a viewpoint of the coming time when he ushers in his kingdom, his administration, and he is going to unite all things under him because he will be the head of all things. Now, why? Because right now, Satan is the ruler of this present age. Remember, Jesus has said so himself. He is the God of this present age. And so this will be a massive overthrow, and that's good for us because we're in him. He's promised it. We already have this in advance, and we see that we already have it apportioned with that. Notice, in him also, we have obtained an inheritance. We've been given a section, a portion of this coming administration. It's yours freely just because you're in Christ. That's the only reason why you got it. You're actually going to have a stake in the future coming regime. Why doesn't that light you up? Isn't that amazing? Maybe I'm too excited about it. How did that happen? Having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Therefore, you know that it's good and right. To the end, that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I have two questions for you. How rich are you? 
Yes! Now hold on to your boots, adults, because the kid voices are showing you up. They get it, and they're excited. I love it. Now here's the question. Where are your riches at? In Christ. They're in him. I have it all, and I have it all because when I heard the gospel and responded in faith, God picked me up and moved me into a brand new place to live called his son. I am in Christ. You are in Christ if you know him. You are unshakably in Christ. I don't even know if that's a word. You are unshakably in the son. It can never be taken from you regardless of your faithfulness or your unfaithfulness. It doesn't matter. Now, have any of you looked at the notes for today? I posted them last night. Anybody? Some of you stay on top of that. Did you guys realize the pastor's blog is the second most visited page on our website besides the homepage? That makes me feel pretty good. I love it. That's great. So me and Zach will have to put a bet on it at some point about how much more I get than youth group. I don't know. <clears throat> but anyway, in this one section, we're looking at verses 13 and 14. There's a lot there. So much that I can't cover it all, but so much that I want to cover it depending on how we're responding and what we need to know about it. This sermon could go anywhere. Just be prepared. So let's look at some basic things and how we mark. Number one, we see the most foundational thing that Paul has been reiterating over and over. And this is in him. Everybody remember this? This is our location. This is where you are. And God sees you is spotless and blameless in his sight because he sees you through his son. We are identified with Christ before the Father. If you ever get discouraged or down about who you are or what's going on in your life, things that have taken place, where you find yourself, call a spiritual timeout. Take a moment and get in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, or uh, 3 through 14, and just pay attention to the in him, in him, in him. Because in him is where every blessing is, and in him is where you are. If that's the case, you and every blessing go perfectly together. And it's all by his grace that you are there. That is what brings about the God esteem, not the self esteem. So notice, in him, you also, after, now mark these, A, listening to the message of truth. And what is this message of truth here? This message of truth is the gospel of your salvation. Now pause for just a second, okay? Because this means good news. And understand this, gospel is a generic term. That's not demeaning it in any way. But it's a term that has a widespread array of meanings depending on the context. So we might be talking about the gospel of Matthew. You know I'm talking about the first book of the New Testament. We might be talking about the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is what John the Baptist and Jesus and the disciples preached during Jesus' earthly ministry, and it's the message that will be preached during the seven-year tribulation time that we read about in Revelation. Right now, we talk about the gospel of grace, and the gospel of grace is that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and has been raised from the grave. That is the gospel of grace, and that is the substance of what somebody believes in order to be saved. So notice, number one, you got to hear it. Everybody see that? But number two, or B, you got to believe it. It's one thing to hear the truth. There's many people that have come in contact with the gospel. Maybe you 
heard the gospel X amount of times before it really got your attention. You said, hold on, I got to do something about this. Or this keeps popping up. Or I've found myself in a place in life where I'm actually open and ready to listen. That's a game changer right there. So number one, we must hear. Number two, we must believe. Notice also, you were sealed. We're going to deal with this here in just a minute. That's very important. In him, in Christ. We're going to talk about that, but write that in so you make sure, because that's where you are and you're sealed. Now, just just truth be told is, is a second. I texted Tabitha not too long ago. For those of you who don't know, Tabitha takes care and cleans this entire building. She does a fantastic job. But I asked her, I said, how hard is it to get jello out of the carpet? And she texted me back and she said, what did you do? <laughs> I said, well, I haven't done anything yet. I said, but I'm thinking about getting some nice goopy red jello and putting it in a Ziploc bag and sealing it up and turning it upside down and shaking it around a whole bunch in my sermon on the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And I think she texted back with like, I'll clean it up tomorrow or something. I don't know. But, it was something, but I thought that might not be in the best interest of that. But understand, when we talk about we're sealed in Christ, we're talking about that something has been done of permanence. That's important. We're going to examine that in just a second. But we've been sealed with something. Notice that the seal is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is perfectly God. Don't ever discount the Holy Spirit as being an equal part of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, no apologies for that whatsoever. The Holy Spirit is not less. And I've said this before, especially when we were dealing with spiritual gifts. Sometimes when we come in contact with the idea of the Holy Spirit, we have this perception that he might be less or diminished in some way. He's very much not. Jesus was very emphatic about him. Notice he's the Holy Spirit of promise. We might not talk about that later, but the notes will get to it. So here's something I want to see. Let's take our Bibles. Let's turn to John 16 just to take a small passage and grasp a little bit of factual information about the Holy Spirit. Because in John 14 and John 16, Jesus is teaching about this uh, pretty heavily. And if you ever want some good stuff to do on your own, I'm always giving you extra studies to do or to think about uh, putting your devotional time into. Uh, Going through John 13 through 17 uh, will really expand a lot of our understanding, maybe even beyond what we're comfortable regarding the person of the Holy Spirit and what he does. John chapter 16, look at verse 13 through 15. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will, look what it says here, guide you into all truth. Everybody see that he's the spirit of truth and he guides you into truth? Everybody see that? For, here's the reason why, he will not speak on his own initiative. He doesn't do anything solo. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. Who's speaking here? If you're a Bible with the red letters, you know who that is, right? By the way, everybody knows that the red and the black letters, God likes them both, yes? Okay, just making sure. Some people are like, no, the red letters matter. Here we go. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it. to you real quick some things we learn about the holy spirit number one he's the spirit of truth in fact when we talk about that all scripture is god breathed it is by inspiration of the holy spirit first peter 1 
tells us that people were born along. They were carried along by the Spirit in order to write down exactly what God would have them to do. Because as fallible people, we can't do it. There's going to be sin that creeps in there or bias that creeps in there in some way. No, the Spirit had to get involved, and He's the Spirit of truth. He does it. Number two, He guides us into all truth. It is nothing wrong at all when you come to your personal time in God's Word to say, Lord, please guide me by your Spirit into your truth. There's everything biblical about that, and that's exactly why the Spirit of God has been given inside of each one of us to do that. Now, remember why this is unique. No other time period had the indwelling Spirit. No other time period. In the Old Testament, you saw that the Spirit could be upon people, but never in people. In fact, Jesus says something really interesting in Acts chapter 1. He says, or forgive me, It's actually at the end of of John 16. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will be in you. Now, we might take that for granted because like, well, yeah, we're part of the church and we understand it's only good doctrine. When you become a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and you have a new life. Yeah, we get all that because we're so familiar with it. For these Jewish guys that are hanging out following Jesus right before he's getting ready to get betrayed, they're like, why? How does that make sense? What in the world are we talking about? The Holy Spirit's going to indwell me? What does that mean? Some people probably got really nervous over something like that. But what do we see happens with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? It's the birth of the church. And it's a brand new period of stewardship of which the Spirit personally works within and through the believer in order to bring conviction to the world. Notice that he's also in alignment with the Father. There's not one part or person of the Trinity who's off in left field or took an off-ramp at any time. They're all in alignment, different roles, but they're all going in the same direction. Another thing, he glorifies Jesus always. This is very important. And if I step on your toes on this, please change your thinking. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit never says, look at me, look at me, look at me. He doesn't. The Holy Spirit never seeks to be the center of attention. The Holy Spirit is not looking for our praise. That's what makes him very different as a third person of the Trinity. What the Holy Spirit says is everything I do is going to be connected from the Father and is going to give you a pointed direction into the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. You say, well, how does that make sense? Because the Holy Spirit is perfectly God. I don't know. But that's what Scripture tells me. He's always going to be the one who points and reveals more of the Son. The Son is the center of our attention. It's not the Spirit. The Spirit plays a holy, sovereign, awesome, equally God, yes, but background role in constantly pointing us in that direction. There are too many Christians who have based a lot of their theology on the person of the Spirit and have forsaken the centrality of the Son in doing so. We've got to get biblical about that situation because then we get wrapped up in the idea of experience and we've forsaken foundation. We're looking for sensation and we forgot about what the Word of God has clearly told us about foundational aspects of who Jesus Christ is. We start living up in the clouds and not rooted in the sun. And that becomes a problem because if your Christianity is rooted in experience, when hard times come, the first thing you do is you doubt your salvation. How come the Holy Spirit's not working through me right now? He is. He's doing it through the background. And if he's saying anything, he's saying, look to Christ, look to Christ, look to Christ every time. 
every time, all the time. So we got to get that straight. Jesus is the center. Amen, preacher. Thank you. That's great. I love it. Notice this. He cooperates and complements the Trinity. He's working on all sides, working perfectly together. And what you see is, is he's one of three persons who are one in essence. I know it's way down here, but a one in essence. That's how the Trinity works. If you ever want any good information on Trinity, Mary, raise your hand. There she is in the back. She has a library book for you. See how we tied all that together? That's beautiful. So notice, in him, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Everybody remember this? A, B. Everybody got that? Okay, brand new Scrabble words for you. Here we go. The ordo salutis. Good word. Write it down, please. The ordo salutis of Ephesians 1.13. You're like, is that English? No, so you're okay. You're like, I should know that. It's okay. But this is a theological word that you need to know. This term, ordo salutis, it's Latin. And it means the way of salvation. Or let me say it this way. Can you walk me through the steps of how somebody gets saved? What happens, spiritually speaking, behind the scenes? What's going on? Understand, there's not one passage in the Bible that gives you a definitive, here's what's going on and how people save. The book of Romans, chapters 1 through 8, are probably the closest thing that we have of walking someone through that understanding step by step of what it is. And that's a large tome which you have to deal with. But there's something very interesting here that eliminates a lot of theological problems that people have. Notice that it's first... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Second, it is what? Believing it. You hear it and you believe it. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Someone has to hear the gospel in order to be able to believe it. They have to come in contact in some way with the gospel message. All of a sudden, that brings a lot of importance to whether you and I are looking for those opportunities to share the gospel with people. Well, how come nobody's getting saved? Who have we shared Christ with? Everybody remember Wayne Gretzky? He says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Think about that one for a while. Some of you are going to be eating lunch later. Put that burger up to your mouth and be like, ha! That's brilliant. It is. If we're never taking the shots, they will never go in. They never have the possibility of going in. So, Holy Spirit, do we have some opportunities today to point somebody to Jesus? Please, open the doors and remove the blinders from their eyes so that I can serve as your vehicle of conviction for sin, righteousness, and judgment so I can tell somebody about the Savior. How's that happen? They got to hear it. They got to believe it. Now, some people have taken this too far. I actually heard it one time in the Czech Republic that there was a denomination of missionaries there who had completely rejected the deaf community in the Czech Republic because they couldn't hear and therefore they couldn't believe. So God obviously just had them born to be damned. Strange people, okay? But we understand what this means. They've got to come in contact with the gospel in order to believe the gospel. Notice here that Paul makes it very simple. Why is this important? Because there are some people that will actually tell you that you have the Holy Spirit before you ever got saved. Let me reiterate that. There are some people who will actually tell you that you will get the Holy Spirit before you're ever saved. What if you die in the meantime? Well, I had the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but you weren't saved. But I had the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but you weren't saved. That's an argument with God that's going to be interesting. How about this one? 
Your word doesn't say that. Your word says, after hearing the message, I then believed. Why? Because faith comes. Faith is the channel that comes about when we hear the gospel. If you hear the gospel, it's eliciting a response from you. How will you respond to the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's not the only verse, but notice, faith comes, uh, first comes hearing the good news, then comes believing the good news. Now, back to our verse here. Notice the idea of having believed, having also believed here, you were, here it is, sealed in him. Does everybody see that having also believed coincides with the fact of sealing takes place at that moment? You cannot have the Holy Spirit before you believe in Christ. Some people say, well, you're so depraved in your sin and your deadness that you have to have the Holy Spirit beforehand so that you can even have the ability to believe and respond to the gospel when you hear it. The problem with that is, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're already born again. So there's a problem there. Steve, you got your arm up. I'm a little nervous. Yes. 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 Everybody hear what he said? The Holy Spirit comes upon your life so that you can hear the truth and believe. In fact, if you read further on, or sorry, before what we looked at in John 16, he says, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm a sinner. I need righteousness. God is going to judge. There's nothing wrong with our gospel presentations hitting those three points. Why? Because that's where the Holy Spirit is already working on people. He's here to convict the world of this. That means that every single person comes in contact with this. Now, fun story for just a second. Everybody good for that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> ah, repent. Uh, moving on. We had active shooter training on Tuesday here. The staff did. Boy, that was fun. I thought, how am I going to get through this without giggling? I don't know. You know? Can't take anything seriously. But one of the officers, we had, we had three of them with us, one of the officers let a funny foreign French word slip. And he goes, oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. And I kind of looked at him and I'm like, I don't expect verbal righteousness from anybody in a situation like this. In fact, to do so might send the wrong message that based on how clean you speak might consider your acceptance with God. That's fine. Be you. If the door opens for the gospel, we'll talk about Jesus. You know? Man, we could really get a lot of things messed up in a situation like that. But what I thought was interesting that was because of the location because I was sitting right in front of him. Now, how many times does anybody think that he maybe said that word the rest of the day? Zero, he's a good man. He might be a good man, but everybody talks different. Everybody has different ways that they do that. And so conviction coming upon somebody, was that just me? No, it had nothing to do with me. Could it have been the Holy Spirit convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment at that moment? I shouldn't talk like that. Why? If you're a pagan who doesn't know Jesus, then why not talk about that? You see what I'm saying? I know that sounds really like flat and just very cold, but let's, let's think about it. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, why does it matter? 
But if the Holy Spirit's doing a convicting work, all of a sudden it does matter, even if the person might not know the Savior. Everybody see that work? That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's how the Holy Spirit moves and acts upon people. So that's what we see here. When you believe, that's the moment of which the sealing happens. In fact, if you look at the notes, if you were to break down the semantics of the Greek, because I know you've all just been licking your chops for that moment, right? But if you were to get into it, the very grammar of this stresses. The moment of change happens at this moment. Why? Because they coincide with one another. They're both one and the same. So here's the question. What does the word sealed mean? What exactly are we talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit being the seal and this being an occasion that takes place at the moment of faith? Well, the word seals. I can't even pronounce it, but here we go. To provide with the seal as a, now watch this, this is very interesting, a security measure. Maybe if you want to jot it down, just jot down security. Good, good thing. To close something up tight, right? Like jello in a Ziploc bag, right? Notice this. To close something up, to mark with the seal as a means of identification. Maybe in your notes you just write, ID. To certify that something is so. Certify. Attest. Certify. Acknowledge. It's bearing witness to the reality of something. And to seal something, I love this, for delivery. Right? And I just can't help but to sit here and be like, rapture come Lord Jesus. Right? There it is. Now think about this. It's only this definition right here that this Greek lexicon attributes to this verse. But I can't help but to look at it and say, wait a second, in Christ all these things apply. Think about what Jesus has done for us. Is it because of Christ that we're secure? Yeah. How secure are you in Jesus? Well, kind of like an ADT secure, but not maximum facility secure. Is that how it is? No, you are completely bound up and locked up in Him. What can take you away from the Savior? Nothing. Isn't that why we like the end of Romans 8 so much? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Man, I tell you what, when sin has had its way with you, we love to cling to verses like that. Why? Because they're true. They're not just heavenly hallmark cards that are supposed to make us feel better in the moment. It's the truth of God's Word saying, my child, it's okay. Everybody falls in the mud. But that didn't change how much I love you or how I relate to you. It didn't change. How about this? To close something up tight. Everybody remember when John's ta- or Jesus is talking in John 10? And he says, sheep are in my hand. Right? In my Father's hand. Who is greater than all? In their hand. And I and the Father are one. Everybody remember that? That's called the double-fisted grip of God. You've got to undo God's hand and Jesus' hand in order to get out. Guess what? You're not going anywhere. You're not moving. How about this? To mark with the seal of means of identification. Isn't that what we've been talking about? The Holy Spirit is the seal of in Him. How do you know you're in Him? I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in me. That serves as an identification to all of eternity. We can't see it here and now. That's why we can't judge somebody's salvation based on their behavior. But guess what? Eternally, in the unseen, it can be totally seen. 
because it's one of the every spiritual blessing that we already have, and it marks us as God's people. It's God saying, you're mine. It's kind of picturing with like a rubber stamp thing on our foreheads, right? You're mine. You belong to me. We're going to see more of that in a second. How about this? To certify that something is so. Now, surely none of us in this room ever have the enemy making any sort of accusations against us, trying to tear us down, fill our minds and hearts with bad thoughts, leading us away from Christ, trying to make us feel worthless, telling us that we're nobodies and nothings, that we don't amount to anything, and have even pushed us to the brink of considering possible suicide because of the way that we feel about ourselves. That happens to Christians all the time. What does the Holy Spirit do? Stop. You're authentic in the eyes of the Father. He's fully accepted you. Why? Because he gave you himself. Everybody see that? Remember, God, or the Holy Spirit is not a, a tertiary member of the Trinity. He's right up there on equal level with the Father and the Son. And if he's taken the time when you believed in him to say, here, take me in you, you are mine. He gave us a part of himself. I don't know about you, but that really speaks volumes to me. You should see me when I'm not here dressed up like this. I'm a super mess. Ask my wife. Hey, babe, where's this? It's in the refrigerator, second shelf. I don't see it. She opens it. Guys, you know. That's why you, girls, you know. You're giggling. She opens it. She's like, it's right there. I'm like, well, it wasn't there two seconds ago before you opened it, right? Because I will lie my way out of being wrong. Because I'm a prideful, good-for-nothing, dark-hearted person. But that's why I need to be remembering upon the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because that is where my hope is found, and it's not in the complete inadequacy of my flesh for making that happen. It's that authenticity. He certifies us and he seals us up for delivery. Man, we are all packages sealed up for delivery. I love that thought. That's beautiful. My favorite guy ever, Rodmacher. Here's what he says about first century sealing because that's what Paul would have been thinking at this time. In ancient times, a seal was a sign of ownership. We are his. And security. We are safe. To make a seal, cylinders or signet rings were pressed into wet clay or soft wax. Some were in simple design and others were ornate, but they all had the same purposes. To those who belong to God, the Holy Spirit is like a seal, guaranteeing, we're going to see that in a second, that we are owned by God and are secure in Him. God took this fleshy, sometimes pudgy, being, and decided he would take his mark and impress it permanently upon each one of us and mark us for eternity and mark us as his and mark us to never be messed with again. You were in big trouble if you delivered a letter as a page and that seal had been cracked, yes? Notice that. We do not show up to the Father with a cracked seal. The seal is perfectly intact. The seal perfectly has his emblem on it. And I guarantee you that emblem is a cross. I guarantee it. That's what seals us at that moment. 
Notice this, we move into 14. The Holy Spirit, that's the who here. The Holy Spirit is given freely. Understand this, given. God gave you the Holy Spirit as a seal. Why is this important? Because there are some people that would like to tell us, well, you don't have all the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a second blessing out there that you need. I've told you guys this before, I think. When my life first got on fire with the Lord, I was connected with more of a charismatic church. Love my charismatic brothers and sisters. Don't have anything bad to say against them, except for this one dude, okay? I'll point him out. He said, hey, man, have you experienced the second blessing of the Holy Spirit? I said, I'm saved. From what I read in the Bible, I have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, man, but have you experienced the blessing? I guess. I don't I'm going to come over to your house and pick you up. We're going to get you that blessing. I don't know anything. I'm like, are we going to a Christian bookstore or what? What are we doing? Do they sell this? Puts me in his car, drives me out into a place, and we're staring at a cornfield with the car off. And he said, man, just close your eyes, breathe deep, feel the Holy Spirit, and start speaking whatever comes to your mouth. And I'm like, okay. And you know what's amazing? Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Not that I couldn't bring myself to do it. I didn't know what I was doing, and there was nothing happening. And all of a sudden, what happened to me was a, oh my gosh, does Jesus not love me? Oh my gosh, was I not really saved at the moment? How come if this is supposed to be what's happening, and I'm very sincere in wanting more of him, it's not happening for me? What's wrong with me? Does everybody see how my eyes got off the right hand of the Father and onto myself? I didn't know anything about position and practice and the difference. I didn't know anything about relationship and fellowship. All I knew was that if I believed in Jesus Christ, I was forgiven of sins, given eternal life as a free gift, and I had the indwelling Holy Spirit. But obviously not all of it because of what this guy was telling me. I almost walked away from the faith because of that experience. Because it was not rooted and grounded in God's word as he clearly tells me. The Holy Spirit is given freely. Freely as a pledge. As a pledge. Now, here's the question. What does pledge mean? Harabong. The word is borrowed from the commercial world. It means a deposit. It means a first installment in higher purchase. It is a token payment assuring the vendor that the full amount will eventually follow. It can also be applied to an engagement ring. Now, sadly, Visa and MasterCard and American Express have taken advantage of the financial situation and have taken something very precious away from good, hardworking folk, and that's called layaway. Does anybody remember layaway? Oh, man, strolling around Kmart, that's a little out of my price range. They're running a blue light special, and I want it now. Everybody remember this, blue light special? The little desk they put around, had the little cop light on it. Yeah, and you're like, you get to Kmart, the first thing you do is like, now we can't even find a Kmart anymore, right? Thanks, Walmart, good job. But anyway, but when you saw it and you had to get it, and they had a special program, layaway, bring the item to us. We'll put it on a shelf in the back. 
It's got your name on it, and you've put down some earnest money towards it that in time you will pay in full at such and such a date. Think about what he's telling us the Holy Spirit is. He's giving you the fullness of the Spirit in you to indwell now because it's all conditioned upon a promise that he's going to see fulfilled at a later time. In other words, God gave you that, and that's amazing, and that is the spiritual blessing. It's every spiritual blessing that you have fully. But guess what he's saying? There's more. There's more. I have more for you, child. I'm giving you this as a means of anticipation that's letting you know there are greater things to come. And this seal will serve to carry you unto that day when we can get that item out of layaway and enjoy it fully. Now for me, I know nobody uses this word anymore, it was a boombox. Anybody remember that? And you'd see people on commercials in the 80s, they're carrying it up here. And I'm sitting there as a kid looking at them like, how'd their cord get that long? What's going on? Oh, it's got batteries in the back. And I tried that one time after I got batteries. Man, that was loud. Wow. How these people not deaf? But here's what I love about this. In the ending of this definition, look what it says. It can also be applied to an engagement ring. The Holy Spirit in you is God's seal of promise. It is what is going to come about in this grand culmination when the bridegroom and the bride will never be separated again. Remember what it was like when you first got in your marriage? You didn't want to go anywhere without that person. You didn't even want to spend any time not holding that person's hand. Even when you got into year two and you're like, that's kind of gross, but I'm still sticking around. You really started to open up and learn about each other. Everybody remember that? Pray for my wife. Boy, she learned a lot in year two. But she stuck around. How beautiful is that to know you'll never be apart from Christ ever again. Now let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. We'll wrap this up. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 30 of Ephesians. What's beautiful about this is that Ephesians 4.30 gives us within the same book, so therefore it's by the same author, and therefore it's being addressed to the same audience. The similarity of language and even the same words that are being used to communicate this concept, it gives us an idea that we've got to latch on to. So this helps complete the thought that we may not fully get when we first encounter it in Ephesians 1.14. Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Notice, same person, yes? Same person. By whom you were, what's the word? Sealed. Sealed for a moment in time. Look what it says. You were sealed for or unto the day of redemption. The moment out ahead. The time that's going to come. In fact, you can look at the notes later. We don't have time to go through it, but Paul brings it up in two other instances here. But notice, it's a pledge of our inheritance with a view, so it's going in a direction to, stay there, arrow, the redemption of God's own possession. Now, redemption, we often think 
of cross there. And the cross is what happens, and sometimes we think of the moment of salvation. That's not what he's talking about here. It's the moment of salvation on the cross that opened up the blood of Jesus to wash away the barrier of sin and the law to pave a grand red sidewalk to the presence of God of which by faith we appropriate into our lives and we're able to now stand in his presence righteously, blamelessly, in holiness before him. And in doing so, we have complete access. But the redemption that he's talking about here is a redemption not initially, but future. The Holy Spirit carries us unto this day because we are God's. We are his possession. And that is part of our inheritance. Now, there are two types of inheritance that are in Scripture. There's a birth inheritance that you receive at the moment you believe in Jesus. He gives it to you automatically, freely by his grace. It's part of the every spiritual blessing. That's why it's mentioned here in this context. It's part of everything that we already have completely informed. Then there is what would be called a rewards inheritance, something that you earn by faith working through love. That's not what this is talking about. This is saying the inheritance that he promised you at the moment that you were born from above, he's going to now bring that all into fruition. You completely have it, but when it comes to the fullness of times and you are bought back out of this world and embraced by the Lord as his own possession, you will then understand the fullness of all the inheritance that you have in Christ. Now notice all this leads worship. In fact, if you will notice at the end of, let's see here, we were looking at Ephesians 1. We would notice verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. We would understand here, let's see, verse 12, to the praise of His glory. In the end of verse 14, to the praise of His glory. In every instance dealing with the end of the section on God the Father, we praise His glory. The end of the section on the Son, we praise His glory. The end of this section on the Holy Spirit, we praise His glory. We praise what He's looking to do already to us, but bringing this to fulfillment in the end. So everything is pointing towards glorification, glorification. It's all pushing along saying, don't lose hope. He's given you everything with the end already in mind and sealed you up so that you'll make it there. You're going to be there. There's nothing that can rob you from that. Okay, enough excitement. Here's what we need to know. Number one, first off, the heading. We're gods. You belong to God. You're here today and you say, I feel worthless. I feel discouraged. Pause. You belong to God. Get your mind off that earthly stuff. Put it on the heavenly stuff. You're gods. He wanted you. He came after you. He saw all the barriers and problems that we put in the way that we couldn't break through, and he demolished all that, laid it flat, buried it, and then raised a brand new life and said, I want you to live here in Christ. This is what I have in store for you. Why is this important? Number one, he sealed us. Done. Ring impressed upon us. Locked us up never to be trifled with, spiritually speaking. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death, seal, into life. You can't go back beyond the seal. You can never lose your salvation. It is absolutely impossible. Number two, The seal is a pledge of our birth inheritance. 
It's a first installment guaranteeing the eternity to come. God gave it to us so we wouldn't lose hope. If I'm sitting in my life situation apart from God, I'm losing hope very quickly. If I'm coming back to the fact that I have the Holy Spirit inside me to prompt me and lead me into all truth, I'm not losing hope so quickly. Instead, I'm having hope cultivated in me so that I won't lose hope. How about the third one here? This seal holds us for the day. It's got a goal, the day of redemption. For we belong to God, we're His. The last one, the seal is a person. It's God Himself. It's God Himself. God Himself said, I'm going to live there. And He decided this would be a suitable place. That's that right with you? It's okay if it doesn't. But because it doesn't, doesn't it make it all the more glorious and amazing that God chooses to work in that way with people? Good grief. Let me ask you this. Let's say for a moment that you were the Savior. And you were going to save people. And I came to you and I said, Mike, you're the Savior. There's a Savior Mike up here. Okay? How are you going to save people? What all are you going to do? Can you imagine that every list in here would be different? Well, those, you know, not saying that Mike would do this. This might be me. Well, those people who were really bad, I'd just squash them out like ants. You know, we might be really looking for this for an opportunity to take some sort of personal vendetta against those who've offended us. Yeah, well, that one guy, you know. It'd be hard to find grace in places. How would we go about doing that? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have ever looked at this as a situation of, you know what, I'm not just going to get them across the line. I'm going to expunge their record. And then I'm going to put them in a position where they can't ever go anywhere, and yet everything is theirs. See, it's one thing to not be able to go anywhere. It's another thing to recognize that everywhere that you do have to go is all plenteous and beautiful and full of joy. Not only that, but I'm going to take them and I'm going to move them into a position to where they can actually operate in blameless and holy lives. They can actually operate in eternal style love with one another. And not only that, I'm going to take them and I'm going to place them like a son or a daughter in special places of privilege. And not only that, I'm going to make sure that the blood of my son doesn't just wash them of sins, but also as they sin in their daily life, there's a continual cleansing that keeps going on. This is where charismatics get this. It's the continual cleansing of the blood of Christ. Some of you like that. I love charismatic people. I do. I used to be one. It's great. You know, I still am to a point, whatever, man. But still, but not only that, I've already got a plan in place to where my son is going to reign rightfully on a throne in perfect righteousness and justice. And I'm going to take these people and I'm going to mark them out areas in this kingdom and say, and this is yours, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. And your reservation is already there. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to separate from myself for a moment and go, why in the world would you do that? And what is God going to say? Because I can. Because grace is who I am. 
Because peace is who I am. Because love is who I am. Because hope is who I am. Because truth is who I am. And because I'm God and I dictate what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is true, what is love and what is not, I can do whatever I want to. And in relation to people, I choose to love them and save them and grace them and bless them completely. All of it. God chooses to give all because he can. Not because I got to worry about getting the formula right. Not because I got to stare at the cornfield until I jibber jabber something. Not because I got to make sure I'm rooting for the right team or not, going to the right church or not. It's simply saying, here are the illustrious blessings that you have because my son made it possible to give them to you. And guess what? I'm going to give them to you. You can have them all completely fully they're yours and get this and this sounds kind of hopeless but it but it's true think about this it's the only thing that will carry you into the life to come we've heard this before when you die you don't take anything with you right you don't i'm really interested to see some of these good old boys are going to get buried with their camaros it's going to be interesting everybody realize that's what pharaohs did they found all kinds of trinkets in there like good grief it's like a flea market in this place guess what we don't take any of it with us We don't take any of it with us. What we take with us is what God freely gave us by His grace through His Son. That's what we take. And why? Because it's our possession, and we are His possession, and that's just how unified it all works together. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to sing. Is that happy stuff or what? Good grief. God saved me for me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that He did that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you were willing to die in our place, being our substitute, and being the means by which the Father communicates incredible, endless spiritual blessings in our stead. If we just take a moment, forget about the world, forget about our phone, forget about our stomachs for a second, and just dwell upon your exceedingly great mercy towards us. All these spiritual blessings that we've seen in these 11 verses, they're massive. They're huge. They matter. They have incredible weight and value. They're so important. They're so pivotal. And what's amazing is they, they cost us nothing. They cost your son his life, and that was the price that was paid. But they're offered freely to us by your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you died to make such wonderful riches available. And Father, may we have hearts of appreciation, thankfulness, gratefulness, that we would just have incredible gratitude that overcomes our person right now, that we recognize that any dabblings we have in the flesh, any mixture that we have with sinful things, sinful affiliations, secret sins that no one knows about, the things that we often hold dear, thinking somehow they're going to to matter or change our lives, even the good things that we've idolized in our lives, Lord, they all need to be laid down. We don't take them with us. What we take with us is all that you've freely given us in your Son. So Lord, I pray that we would sing. We'd worship you in spirit and truth as you desire to be worshipped. We would exalt you because you are worthy, worthy, worthy. Thank you for the Lamb. It is in his name we pray it. Amen.